This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. We're back with a bonus episode of Sports and Quirks. We talked a couple weeks ago about how we were both excited to watch the Dennis Rodman 30 for 30. And um, that's out now. We have both watched it. I watched it twice (laughs) just because there was a lot I felt like to analyze. I felt like I was in a film class almost like back in college, you know, unpacking the different themes and whatnot. Um, (laughs) But so we're going to dedicate a bonus episode to just discussing um, all of the aspects of that documentary. Hopefully you'll find it interesting. Um, So the documentary starts out. Um, with Dennis Rodman and some people they were interviewing, talking about his upbringing, his childhood, which was really interesting. Um, They talked about how he was very attached to his mom and didn't want to leave her side, which is kind of um, just in terms of like boys and men, kind of like a negative stereotype, I guess, like being clingy. Um, So, yeah. But like, because his dad wasn't around, yeah. it kind of it kind of made sense. Like he just had his mom and his sisters, um, which really created an interesting dynamic. That also, I don't know if like a lot of other men experience. Yeah, probably not. Um, I mean, it, they talked about how his sisters would have him play dress up with them. And so they would put like dresses and heels on him and then put lipstick on him. <laughs> so that is yeah. definitely not a traditional, you know, like childhood play thing for even someone, you know, a boy who grew up with two sisters. Like that's not a typical thing. No. And just kind of how that played out like later in his life when like the wedding dress. Yeah. So, um, it it definitely is a little it was an interesting way to start but like obviously it was very important to tell his story about how he like the gender norm thing especially during the time yes that like really there were gender roles and so and gender norms in a way that like little boys do not put on dresses like it's one thing when it's happening now when parents are like i'm letting my parent or my kids just pick how they dress um, and it's less about like the, ex- maybe it is about the gender expression, but like either way, there's a lot more freedom now than at the time when he was a child and his sisters were putting him in a dress and putting makeup on him. Yeah. And he, you know, he wasn't forced really. Like he, it seemed like he enjoyed it and it was just kind of a part of his childhood. Um, yeah, I mean like a little boy wearing a dress or something now would still be very like frowned upon by most people. I would say. Um, So think like back in the 70s, like 
not okay back then at all. No. Um, so they also talked about how he, you know, growing up, he thought he was really ugly and just did not think that girls would find him attractive, which made me so sad. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this is like just the whole self-esteem issue. It just makes me sad when people are, have really low self-esteem, especially like growing up because um, yeah. when kids are really mean. <laughs> yes. Um, so they also discussed how he was overshadowed by his sisters, particularly in high school, because they were both very accomplished athletically. Um, they got scholarships to play basketball in college. Um, and he was only 5'9 when he graduated from high school. And at that point, he hadn't played a full season of organized basketball in his entire life, which is crazy when you think about him going on from that to win five NBA titles. Yes. Um, well, I thought it was interesting when they taught, when, you know, they go into like what happened when he graduated high school. Like he didn't really know what he was doing and his mom kicks him out and he. It's just like, okay, I guess I'm kicked out um, and isn't really into the college thing. But then he grows like he is obviously a very tall person. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like plays basketball at, like the Y, but is like he has no interest in he seems very lost. Like that part of his life when they are talking about him kind of like going from being homeless, like being homeless to then like, oh, maybe I'll like go to college. And he just doesn't know. Like, I feel like the young Dennis Rodman is so, like, innocent, yeah. but also unmotivated. And it's, like, it is so wild to, like, watch the change from where he's just, like, I had to get a job or go to school or, like, join the military. And my mom said I couldn't stay at home and it really, like, hurt me because, like, most 18 19 year olds would be pretty hurt when their mom is like yeah you can't live here <laughs> yeah especially now i don't know maybe it's millennial culture who knows but especially now it's like in most family situations parents are pretty um you know willing to help other kids at least for a short period of time you know a year or two like yes um yeah yeah so that was interesting um going back to the innocence thing um one of the stories that I found super interesting was they were talking about how he, for a short time after he graduated from high school, he was working at an airport. They didn't say exactly what he was doing, but it was like at night. And um, he yeah. stole a bunch of watches from, you know, one of those like stores, kiosks, whatever that are in airports. And he didn't sell them. Instead, he just gave them away to people in order to please people because he just wanted yes. to make people happy. And so he didn't end up going to jail. He went to court for it, but he didn't, he didn't end up going to jail or anything because he didn't sell the watches. He just gave them to people, which that story, I was like, this is crazy. Like th think about being at that place where you want to make, you want to make people happy so badly that you're stealing in order to like have something to offer them. I, that was so of, sad to me. It was kind of a foreshadowing for what would happen later mm -hmm. in his life for trying to make people like, I think ultimately 
throughout his life, he like did things to like make people happy because he's like, if they're happy, they like me. And it's not necessarily, I think like the self esteem thing, like through his whole life is like, it's not, it's like an interesting thing to think of like an adult man who's like very successful and maybe not having like self esteem and like those issues starting from like a young age. And so like, him not seeing like the value in himself. Yeah. Um, like as an individual, because like he seems like very likable. Like as he is a young man when he's like playing basketball, when he like goes to college and plays ball, when he goes to Detroit, um, it's just like, wow, you want to root for yeah, this. Yeah, everyone guy. described him as like the sweetest person. And he did he like he did yeah. come off that way in the footage yeah. that they showed and um you know, the interviews they did with like people who were really close to him. Um, he just came off as like this, like really sweet, innocent person, which is wild when you think about like what he's kind of seen as now, like the total bad yeah. boy, you know, of the NBA, whatever. Um, and we didn't, you know, we didn't like see him play really. I definitely didn't. <laughs> Um, no, we were definitely very young. <laughs> um, just obviously, like, after the fact, you know, highlights of, like, him and Michael Jordan and all that kind of stuff. But so we didn't get to witness the actual transformation that, like, our parents maybe would have noticed yes. um, if they were paying a lot of attention to basketball. Um, we just, like, our generation just knows him as, like, the this, like, bad boy who has tons of piercings and tattoos and, like, drinks all the time, you know, it's a completely yeah. – that's why I would recommend that a lot of people who are, you know, in their early 20s or in college, whatever, um, even up to, like, your 30s, watch this documentary because it gives you, like, a whole other side of him that, like, no one our age ever knew, really, unless you, like, had some sort of fascination with him, I guess. Yeah, because it's not like – and I feel like those were never – even when we would see him on TV, although we didn't watch him, like, play basketball and, like, the his role in, like, what we've seen in pop culture has very much been, like, very eccentric. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there would ever be a point where, like, the media would be highlighting how he was because he was so tame. Like, when they talked about how he would – go out to the bars and order a glass of milk like like, i was like what (laughs) who who, who goes to the bar and gets a glass of milk like i know one person (laughs) who goes to a restaurant and orders a glass of milk but like no other human is like ah we're going out partying yeah i'll take a cold one yeah oh yeah so going back to the whole innocence kind of thing um, yes yes so after he graduated high school in the span of a year and a half, he grew from 5'9 to 6'8. Um, and he was noticed by a small college in Gainesville, Texas. He went to play there, but didn't finish a whole season. Um, again, like kind of just going back to his theme of, you know, having difficulty making friends and not fitting in at all. That was kind of his experience there. And then um, the coach from Southwestern Oklahoma State University took notice to him. And um, he went there for a campus visit and ended up, um, committing to play there. So then they kind of switch gears to how Rodman, when he, I believe it was the summer leading up to his first season at that school, 
Um, he was like helping out with the youth basketball camp um, that the team was putting on. And he befriended this 12 year old white kid. Um, and the camp, this was really interesting. I thought that basketball camp was this kid Brian's first social activity since accidentally fatally shooting his best friend in a hunting accident that had happened six months before. Um, like his parents basically forced him to go to this basketball camp because he hadn't done anything like social at all with friends or around other kids for six months because he was just so distraught. Um, so like they both had kind of, you know, sad stories to bond over, I guess. Um, but what were your thoughts about that segment? I thought it was really interesting. Um, it was like, obviously they're two very hurt people that just like they found each other and like became friends. Um, not knowing really much about it, I was like, oh, I don't feel like this part is going to go well. Like this large black man who is a man, like he's 19, 20 mm-hmm. years old, um, becoming friends with this young white man. Um, and I, th- and it's probably just like today's society really kind of painted how I thought it was going to go, um, which is horrible. Like the fact that I was like, there's no way they're going to like, just have a friendship. Like there's something yeah. wrong, like the power dynamics off, but like, as they tell this story of how like Dennis Rodman would like go and be with this boy's family and like, he was close with them and they treated him like he was their child. Um, it just, it made me think about like, oh, wow. Um, one, like people are good and like we should be assuming the best in people. <laughs> like I should not assume the worst. Um, but there are just so many layers to it. Like this white family in Oklahoma, like as someone who's black and grew up with a bunch of white people, it would be a very hard, like, if someone else was like, yeah, I went and lived with a, bl- a white family in Oklahoma, I'd be like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, how? <laughs> what? Explain this to me. Um, and so it was, I thought it was just nice to see, to hear that story of, like, them kind of overcoming what could have been, like, a natural, their natural perception of him. Um, just given, like where they lived and just kind of the background of the time. Like I would not be surprised if they had been like racist. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like, it was just great that they did take him in and like, even though they probably did have their own prejudice, um, they were still very open and they kind of helped mold him. And they, I think they probably just saw that he was like a hurt kid. Like, and it seemed like, Dennis Rodman was very developmentally behind um, just because he was so like within himself that he just kind of like, he lacked that um, like self-esteem in high school. And so I think that he might've missed some like social developmental moments. And so he just like kind of stayed very young and innocent and was just like, Oh yeah. Like, I, why wouldn't I be friends with this kid who also like we're, we're bonding over whatever. And like, why wouldn't I go to your home and spend time with your family? Um, 
And why would I, like, of course I'm going to build these relationships. So just overall, that part of like the whole documentary was the most fascinating to me because of all those different things you can like analyze um, coming out of it. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, Yes. Yeah. So he chose to move in with his family and he was living on their couch or, you know, when no one was, you know, when no one was visiting them, he stayed in their guest room Um, and he just gave up his, he chose to give up his dorm room to live with this white family. Um, and you know, he would like play with Brian, the kid, um, after school and stuff. And when they interviewed Rodman about this, he admitted that he wasn't acting like an adult at the time. He was acting like a kid. Um, yeah. And that is kind of a theme that resonated with me. It just, I don't know why. And I don't really like that i I was making this comparison, but it kind of reminded me of the whole like Michael Jackson thing. Um, like that yes. documentary, I'm not comparing, you know, I'm not saying that like Dennis no, Rodman no. is Michael Jackson because I don't think that's like anywhere close to the truth. No. Um, but just in terms of like both of them, like never really grew up and enjoyed like doing things that kids would like doing and enjoyed being around kids because they, kind of missed you know they kind of missed a childhood because both of them in their own ways were having to be an adult as a child <laughs> yeah and so that's why then like with the developmental piece so then they like had all those like social developments later in life which like is fine as long as it's fine yeah. right like i think in dennis rodman's it case fine. it was fine like, michael jackson it was, it was not yeah <laughs> but there were a couple points in the documentary where I just it made me think of the whole Michael Jackson thing and and what some of the parents of those kids said in interviews about Michael Jackson and how he like didn't seem like he wasn't an adult really um yeah so then the mom I can't remember what the mom's name was um of Brian Rich called Rodman the n-word and it was I thought his take on it was really interesting I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that but he in the interview he was like it didn't bother me like she wasn't used to being around black people and he said he didn't see it as a race thing um so he like left the house and she was like no come back like she wanted him to come back whatever he came back um but what did you think about that Again, I think he had like that innocence where he was just like, okay. Um, Which like, it's interesting with innocence, how there can be maturity and like responding to that where he was just like, okay, like that's not okay. But he still navigated it in a way that like, I think a lot of people would not like, that's a moment that, as soon as that word happens, it's like, nope, goodbye, please. Like, there's so much weight in the word um, that his reaction, I was like, well, I don't know if everyone could respond that yeah, way. Yeah, I was, um, um, like, good for you, basically, because for you to be able to think of it like that and be so, you know, kind of emotionally unattached from it, like, he, it seemed like he was... 
Um, I can't imagine like yes. being in that situation and, you know, kind of being like, no. it's okay. She just doesn't know. <laughs> yes. And it's like making, he like almost makes an excuse for it. And I'm like, well, you can't do that. But also like, it's not black and white. Like no situation is black and white um, when it comes to that especially when you have a relationship and it's an established relationship it's one thing if someone says the n-word and they don't know you and you don't know them and you're just like all right well please don't ever speak to me again um but to like for it to happen and that and it's just very interesting where he's like it's not about race like that i really cannot fully wrap my head around but again i'm like good for you for having like the maturity to navigate it without like flying off the handle yeah I feel like I'm kind of constantly amazed by that like my friends who are people of color like you know they have stories of of like you know this person said this and you know I I don't see it as a race issue like they're not they don't know you know whatever it just kind of like what he said made me realize like all of the terrible things that like people of color have to put up with and just like deal with basically because if you don't <laughs> like that can be really hard um I don't know like I was just got so enraged by it and then he's just like you know this is how I view it this is how it is kind of yeah well because if you get angry every time that happens especially when you're in like middle of nowhere yeah. somewhere in the south like you're just gonna use up so much emotional energy it's not worth it um, to, like, be more than, like, like if that makes sense. Like, you just don't want to expend all of that every single day when people every day are going to say th- – and I'm sure people are saying things to him all the time given mm-hmm. what he was. And it's just, like, you pick and choose your battles. Um, and it, it seemed like he did that, and he did that fairly well as a young man. Um, and then he became – an older man and all of a sudden he did not yeah flip definitely or flip a switch definitely flipped um let's talk about kind of his the start of his NBA career before um that really happened it seems like um so something that one of his former teammates said about him was Um, You didn't think he was 26. You thought he was 18. He didn't seem like an adult. He missed a childhood. The things he didn't want to, or the things he wanted to do when he was a kid, he did in his 20s. Um, Which is just like, it's a really interesting concept that I can't relate to. Um, You know, he had to, because his mom was working multiple jobs. And um, I mean, he had his sisters, but he didn't have a dad. Like, there wasn't really any structure. He kind of just had to, like, take care of himself because his mom wasn't around very much because she was, like, providing for the family all the time, basically. Um, And it's just, like, weird to think about growing up like that and not getting to experience the things that, like, a normal kid would get to experience. But I think a lot of kids have that experience where they don't get to have what a lot of folks have in their mind as like the a normal childhood right where like you just play video games or you just you're just hanging out with friends and then like there's nothing else to it and 
Um, I think that like showing Dennis Rodman's story is showing like a very extreme case of what happens when like your childhood's kind of not, you don't get to have it at the right time. And then he like in his twenties, he was just like a big kid and there's nothing wrong with that other than like society is like not ready for that because they expected you to behave like that when you were like 10 years younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um. So, and I think that what was really interesting in his twenties was like his relationship with Chuck yeah. Daly. They were definitely like, seemed like they were kind of best friends. Um, and there was like a male figure in his life finally that he had always kind of wanted, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, one of the things I liked the most about the documentary was just the interviews that they conducted with his former teammates because they, they all got mm-hmm. pretty emotional when they were talking about it. Um, which I think just speaks to how close they all were, you know, as like people yeah. and as a team. Um, one of the players said like he wasn't ready for this really cruel world, which I think is evidenced by how he reacted and kind of the downward spiral he had after like Chuck Daly left and, um, you know, his teammates yes. like kind of got traded away and whatnot. Um, but another moment I really liked was when they showed the footage of him being named NBA um, defensive player of the year. Oh, mm-hmm. it's like, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, this is so sad. Um, because, you know, he starts crying. Um, and he was just like, I want, th- I wanted this one so bad. And um, they, when they interviewed him about it, he was like, I didn't know you weren't supposed to cry. I didn't know you're, you weren't supposed to wear your heart on your sleeve, yeah. which is like, I yeah. wish everyone would do that in sports. <laughs> and he was like, made fun of it and like, made to feel ashamed about it well because like men can't cry publicly one (laughs) but black men can't cry publicly too and i don't know it just like i feel like in that moment that's one of those moments where it's justified in crying but like i'm not a dude and like the way he got like the pe- the way people responded to him i think a lot of like from the start of his career to like right before he kind of just like went off um he wasn't doing anything wrong in wearing his heart on his sleeve and being very like big on his relationships and like how he was with chuck D- like i think ultimately he was just like seeking um like stability and like everything he didn't have, like everything he didn't have as a kid, he was getting in his twenties. Mm-hmm. So where it was like the structure of when he was on the basketball team and then like the father figures and his coaches and just being able to like have fun living life in his twenties that he couldn't do as like a kid, like all those things were happening. And then like to have people come back and be like, no, don't, don't be like this. Like you can't do this was like, why would you, why would you say that? Because he wasn't actually doing anything wrong. He's just living life and like 
honestly, if more players were living life like that, we'd probably be in a better honestly, place. Honestly, yeah. I wish we could have seen him, like, in the current NBA era. and Because I feel like he would be a big contributor to, like, the mental health conversation, oh, yeah. probably. Um, yes. And I think he'd have the support of, like, his fellow players yeah. in that. But um, he did not have the luxury of playing during a time when there were other players like being open about feelings. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there were a couple, I mean, so many lines from this documentary that I was like, these are just all mic drop lines. Um, another one of them that they, it was, a, again, a former teammate talking about like the defensive player of the year award and stuff. And he said, I think it was Isaiah Thomas um, said Dennis never envisioned, never felt he deserved the success or the accolades that he received. And I think that's like true of not just like celebrities and professional athletes, but a lot of people like, yeah, I don't know that many people who have like extreme self-confidence. So I feel like, like most people that I know have that feeling to some extent, some more so than others, obviously. Um, yeah. That imposter yeah, syndrome. Just like, you know, like I locked into this or I, you know, don't deserve this, whatever. Um, or I just like never pictured myself being here and they just kind of like tone, you know, sweep it under the rug in a way. Like, yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting and like really spot on for his situation it seemed like um and then one big thing that I think you really will enjoy talking about um was a line we provided an environment and a community where he could walk into the locker room and be whatever he wanted to be on that day and there was no judgment like that's what every locker room should be like yes that's what all coaches should strive for that's what all bosses should strive for like I feel like that's really applicable to basically every scenario in life, you know, whether it's your family, like be what you want to be that day. And like, there's no judgment. Yeah. Um, I, I agree because with that, like by saying that that's creating a space that is like open, it's like people can be vulnerable. And I think that, Across the board, people need to be more vulnerable in being around other people and, like, loving each other, basically, Mm -hmm. well, so that, like, people don't feel like they're, like, um, kind of an outcast or, like, they don't feel like they're enough. And then they get to a place where, like, Dennis Rodman is an alcoholic. Like, I, I think that there are ways to like show people like, no, like you, you are good and you are better than like what you think of yourself to get to that place where you think that you have to like impress people to get them to like you and not just like you for who you are. So I think like creating that culture, starting with like, he respects his coaches, he respects his teammates and they like, they contributed to that environment. Like that's great. Yeah. And even if like the people in your life, whether it's your professional athlete and it's your teammates, it's your coworkers, it's your family, um, like just understanding that not, you're not going to like every day is not going to be a great day for you Yeah, and that's okay. You don't have to understand why 
you know, like maybe someone who's like dealing with mental health issues, like anxiety or depression or something like they're having an off day and, you know, maybe you don't necessarily know how to support them. Maybe you don't understand like why they're having this problem and you don't like, you don't get it at all, but you can still be, you know, acknowledge that you're there for someone and, you know, you're, you support them even if you don't get where they're coming from. Yeah. Um, it seemed like that was kind of like the culture that they had as a team. And I think that's what everyone should strive for in their lives. I mean, agreed. <laughs> agreed. Yeah. But obviously. Accept and support each other. I mean, very simple on paper. In acting. Very simple on paper. It's like you're asking people to create the next, uh, you know, painting to go in the Louvre. Like <laughs> the next Mona Lisa. Oh my god, that's like a simple one. I was like, oh, maybe they want like a Michelangelo. Like, no. oh yeah, like the ceiling of the Sistine yes. Chapel or something. That's probably a better comparison. Even, like, yeah, we're not asking you to go blind from painting the ceiling. We're asking you <laughs> to be- to start painting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> gosh um yeah I mean it's that kind of stuff isn't gonna happen overnight but just like be aware of what other people are dealing with you know at least try to be yeah and this um definitely showed it was well it was kind of um it was stressful to watch when he when things started falling apart for him but I was like wow Mm -hmm. like mental health is so relevant and why did we not talk like we should have been talking about this so long ago um and i for sure this documentary kind of showed like yeah we should talk about mental health because i think that was a big factor in all of this yeah totally um i mean like going to therapy like would have benefited him a lot yes. because he had so many deep-seated issues going back to his childhood and his relationship with his mom and like the lack thereof with his dad um you know like always feeling kind of not good enough like all that stuff those are things that a lot of people experience in their lives yes. like just at normal everyday people and i think there's like Going to therapy or, you know, trying to, like, understand where those things come from and accept them and be okay with them internally, you know. Obviously, that's a lot of hard work, but I think that a lot of people are dealing with those kind of issues or quote-unquote dealing, but they're not not addressing them. And it it could get better, but it's just, like, something that's still just, like, kind of is a weight on their chest, you know. Yeah. So I think that's kind of like a lesson to be taken away from this situation is it's not going to get better unless you try and do something to help yourself understand like why you have these feelings. Yeah. So it's very complicated. It is. It's It's like, it's like, you know, becoming good at a sport. Like it's a lot of hard work. It is. To understand like why you feel the way you do about certain things. So but hopefully some people will you know some people who need to deal with those kind of things like are able to um so (laughs) basically going into the whole downward spiral um chuck daly leaves and like then he has this whole wave of 
you know, feelings of like abandonment and betrayal kind mm-hmm. of um, coming from a lot of different sides. And going back to the whole naivete thing, his like basically all of his former teammates like said that Dennis Rodman had no idea that the NBA was a business and yeah. like couldn't get past like how this perfect family basically was like broken up. Um, and that's when he kind of started like lashing out and drinking a lot. They talked about how he did not like drink at all his first season in Detroit, which like I literally laughed when they said that, which is sad, but it's because like the image of him that we have is like just like he's an alcoholic and has a bunch of piercings and tattoos and wears sunglasses all the time and like went to North Korea. Like that's what people know about him who are our age basically. Yeah. So I was like, no way. But I mean, then, you know, when they're showing you like how innocent he was and stuff and like how much of an introvert he was, like I could believe that. Yeah. For that period of time. Oh yeah. Um, so it's just kind of sad how like, because he didn't feel accepted how he turned to alcohol and then that like, really became such a huge problem in his life and kind of still is. Yeah. Well, just like so. how he got all this fame and he got, like he started doing all this partying and he was just kind of like basically self-medicating because he didn't know what, how to like deal with what was going on when it came to um, the NBA doing what the NBA does and functions as a business and, um, and not just a business, like a Fortune 500 company. Like yes. it's not, there's no, no room for feelings. No, no. <laughs> it's like you're traded, you're, tr- you've been traded. But I like, think like he thanks, bye. <laughs> was probably like underprepared, which like, I think a lot of sidebar, a lot of athletes, young athletes are like underprepared for what it's like when they kind of get into like, quote unquote, the real world and how like these organizations will treat them not necessarily as like, Oh yeah, you're not really like part of the family. Like this is a business. We are trying to make money. You're trying to make money. You're trying to like, none of this is like a touchy feely thing. And so like nobody like telling him that it kind of was like a disservice to not just, they could have just been like, Hey, like, listen, this is how this is, is going to work at some point. Just like prepare him. And maybe they did, but I don't know it he seemed to just go completely off the rails that it makes me think that like no one was trying to like support him the way they probably should have which is in that situation hey here's what real life is yeah um I was kind of um like I guess got emotional when he was talking about um this was like the next segment they covered basically after they talked about him, um, how Chuck Daly left and then he felt abandoned and whatever. He They then started talking about um, the first daughter that he had and um, they interviewed her and she talked about how he wasn't really in her life. Like she didn't think he felt like he knew how to be a father. And then he just like, he's wearing his sunglasses in the interview and like he literally says that and it's just like crying behind his sunglasses, which I don't know. Like it, I feel like it's made him even more sad by like the whole sunglasses situation. Yeah. Cause like you have to cover it up, you know? Yeah. It's a very physical way to be like, I'm trying to not be seen. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, that's, 
sad. Um, um, like when they talk about like her kids and he's just like, I don't know how to hold a baby. It's just. Yeah, that was kind of funny. To me. <laughs> like you like have- when he does the little, he does the motion of how he was holding the baby in the picture and then they show the picture and it's like, yep, that's how I would be holding a baby. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no one taught you this and like you weren't prepared for this. Like it kind of just happened. And yeah. I mean, he's been married a couple times, right? So like. I think sure just twice. Just kind of surprising. <laughs> it's Car- uh, it might have been three times. Yeah, yeah it was he married times. Carmen Electra. Carmen Electra, and then the two like random ladies. Yeah, that he had kids with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I mean, for someone his age, honestly, being a professional athlete, there could be more. <laughs> you right. Um, <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's kind of. It's the nature of it, and the nature of like. When he when it happened with his partying and like he yeah. was with all these different people who were seeking things from him that were not great things to be taking from another person. Um, I'm sure that just did not help his self-esteem or his like self-worth and thus more sunglasses to hide. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, um, what did you think of the segment where they talked about? his relationship with the gay community and whether that the debate about whether like his relationship with that community was authentic or if it was just like for shock value kind of. I felt like it was just like of all the things that he does, I'm like, uh, it's just another thing about Dennis Rodman. I don't know. (laughs) It wasn't, it was not a super notable thing to me. I was just like, all right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, he found it was a group that accepted him. Yeah. No matter what he was wearing, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I'm sure that was a big part of it. And that was like definitely what he was seeking. But because he was so eccentric, like not saying that the gay community is, but I'm just like, I can see why he might be like, all right, they're okay with me being over the top because like that community is pretty accepting of all things. Um, Yeah. So. Another one of my favorite lines was um, someone said he freaked out a lot of people in the sports world. And that was wonderful. He did. I loved that quote. It was from, it was someone who was like a media person, like someone who worked for one of the posts or the times or whatever. But I was like, yeah, like, I mean, that's pretty much sums up like, you know, what he was, especially at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought it was kind of a funny, like, funny line, but also, like, really, really great. <laughs> I enjoyed his relationship with Michael Jordan. Yeah? What did you think about how they portrayed that? Um, I just thought it was super interesting that Michael Jordan kind of, like, not controlled him but like could be a leader like michael jordan could be a leader with dennis rodman and be like listen you need to get it together um and so that was just like the edna Edna mode gift where she's like yourself together (laughs) that's what i thought of when i watched that part yes i'm like that's michael jordan to dennis rodman and i don't know if like Dennis Rodman saw Michael Jordan. 
like how he had like like his relationship with like Chuck Daly, where it was very much like you're like a father figure to me. Um, I think that Michael Jordan is just like super respectable, and Dennis Rodman, despite his wildness, despite like whatever he was going through at the time, he knew that he couldn't mess with the goat. Um, and I'm glad that he had that presence of mind to be like, I will listen to Michael Jordan. Um, so like them, just that story, it was just like something fun because Michael Jordan just seems so like calm and collected. And like now, you know, he's old too and he's just chilling. Um, yeah, he's flying pretty much under the radar. Yes, he is. Uh, and I think that's how he wants to stay. And that's probably why in that segment, it was very like, like it was definitely a big part of his time with the Bulls. But Michael Jordan's not trying to like stir the pot. He's just trying to be like, he's my teammate and it yeah. was good. Um, and like, yeah, he had times that he was not great. Like when he couldn't play in the games because he was tried to headbutt the ref like <laughs> I'm just like yeah this yeah. is like why people don't like like Dennis Rodman like if I were to talk to someone like my parents if I were to be like yeah. oh yeah I watched the Dennis Rodman 30 for 30 they'd be like but why yeah um, they're like oh he like was like just a hothead and like dressed weird <laughs> yeah well and then like his relationship with North Korea, like yes, that's a whole other. That was <laughs> wild, and for him to do some of those interviews drunk. Oh my gosh! On CNN, I was just like, you went from like one of the most respectable players in the NBA, and the fa- like the fall of Dennis Rodman is so scary. Like it's been so long and drawn out too. Yes. Like, I mean, he, you know, obviously had spiraled downhill when he was playing. And then he, back when we were in high school, probably, I think, he went on Celebrity Apprentice. Oh, boy. Uh, and basically, like, ended up getting fired because, like, everyone was, like, everyone on his team was, like, he he has an alcohol problem. He needs to deal with this. And then, like, he got fired and he was, like, yeah, I do. Like, I need to deal with this. And then, like, kind of, you know, didn't really hear anything for several years. And then the whole North Korea thing where he's, like, going over there because Kim Jong-un, like, liked the Bulls, especially when Rodman was playing. And he was, like, talking about how he viewed it as basketball diplomacy, basically. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. Um but <laughs> there was one part of an interview um, with some government official. They were like, no one at the CIA can tell you more about Kim Jong-un than Dennis Rodman. And that in itself is terrifying. Yeah. Well, and then and at the like, end, yep. <laughs> <laughs> when they're like, without Dennis Rodman, it, like Donald Trump might not have like gone to North Korea. And I'm like, this is not how things should work. No, but it, I mean, that's a fact. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's like the story of Dennis Rodman is wild. And like it is getting wilder. Yeah. Like he's not really falling anymore. Like I feel like the fall has happened. Like 
he hit whatever's below rock, rock bottom. bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, like, he's relevant again. And he could use it for something very good. And, like, I guess getting the United States and North Korea to, like, negotiate's good. But, like, I imagine that there's more for him than this. Yeah. I did... It did really bug me how... And I remember this from, like, when the summit happened. Um, how people were, like, tweeting death threats at him and, like, all these terrible things. And it's, yeah. like... Like, he's... <laughs> he's just trying to like do a good deed, whether you like think that he should be, you know, he, the U S should be like interacting with North Korea or not. Like, I just think that that's like unfair and like kind of sad. I mean, he like, well, in one of the interviews when he was drunk, he was like crying about how like he can't come home and like, you know, all these people are threatening him and like, yeah. like slurs about him, but not being American and all this stuff. And it's like, like slow down, you know? Yeah. Like, I was very annoyed by that. Um, I don't know. I it, Like, I think it just goes back to him, like, trying to do the right thing and, like, just kind of constantly, like, not being accepted and being judged in his life. Obviously, he's yeah. not a perfect person, um, as yeah. evidenced by, like, you know, him not really being a father and, like, all of his drinking stuff and whatever. And his but, DUIs. Yeah, that's not good either. <laughs> Um, like we're not saying that, but no. I, I think it just goes back to like all of his deep-seated issues of like self-esteem, self-worth, like all that stuff. Yeah, like general security. Um, yeah, there's, and maybe just because of the way the thirty for thirty is like laid out, the way the story is told, it really kind of. I don't know if it justifies his behavior, but, like, you understand. Yeah, that's a really good way to describe it. It's not justification, but it's, no. like, kind of an explanation for yes. some of the behavior. Yes. Um, so it was, like, it was good just to understand him. And after watching it, I hope he just, like, he continues to have, like, that those good intentions, but hopefully like consults with someone who can help with strategy. <laughs> yeah. That would be probably good for him. Good PR. Um, yeah. I, I do kind of like how he, like in some way it, it's like a dichotomy because he's, he's so open about who he is, but at the same time, like he keeps some cards like close to his chest. It seems like. Yeah. Um, the interviewer asked, so who's the real Dennis Rodman? Like, this was an interview for a long time ago. And he just said, like, you can't have that, which I think is kind of awesome. Like, you know, yeah. I, I'm a celebrity, but, like, I don't have to share my entire person, like, with the world and who I am. Yeah. Like, that's for me. Which and I maybe, respect. Yeah, no, it's, he, I think he has that awareness and, like, I would assume, especially now, he's, like, trying to keep it even closer because people can be so invasive yeah. in today's society. Um, and maybe that's, like, helping with his mental health. Mm -hmm. 
to be like, no, you can only have so much. You can only have the crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like, I think of celebrities who very much put on a show. Like, they're very performative. Mm-hmm. But, like, they don't let anyone have any other part of them yeah. from the media. Which is, like, again, probably better for their mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, there was no sort of, like, back when he was playing, there was no sort of training about, like, that kind of stuff, you know? No. So no. it makes sense. Um, but, yeah, just the kind of the whole theme of, like, you can have everything in the world and, like, not have anything at the same time. Yeah. Um, like, they ended it with, and this is, like, actually a fact. Um, he said, I'm one of the top ten people on this planet that people recognize. Like, that's, like, a study. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of, like, his face. Um, and so he says that, and he's, like, should be happy, right? And then he's, like, funny, huh? And then he just starts crying. And that's how they ended it. It. And I was, like, another mic drop. <laughs> it was a big mic drop, and, like, it, like... I was left with a lot of feelings. Oh, completely. <laughs> clearly. I mean, we have so many things to say. Yeah. About it, this. Yes. Like I mean, we haven't even covered thing. everything and we're not I going know. to. I um, know. But it's, yeah. And, and like, he just, again, nothing is justified. Correct. But you understand. And when he, like, starts crying, like, he is feeling so much. And you understand why he's been, why he feels so much. Like the life he's lived has not been easy. Um, and I mean, some of that is like his own doing. Like he could have not started drinking, but like sometimes you become a product of your environment. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's part of life. And I mean, he's made it this far. And maybe he's like he's doing some self reflection on that because like that's a heavy that's a heavy way to end that thirty for thirty. Yeah, and I feel like like I don't know. I feel like what I've said makes it seem like it's super depressing, which it's like I mean it it's sad yeah, but it's it's like just a really well done documentary I think, yes. and um, I think it's like worth watching at least once um just because there are so many things to like analyze and that you can like um compare to your personal life even though your personal life is nothing like his um yeah on paper um so i just think it's like worth the analysis and um it's not too sad it's like it's not it's it's definitely manageable (laughs) you know he like could have committed suicide he didn't like which that's that was a whole other thing it it was it it was like it was a very interesting like tangent that they just kind of reeled back in yeah they didn't really take much time to talk about it i feel like given what yeah they were just like oh yeah i didn't think that he was gonna kill himself i'm like oh you didn't think that he was gonna kill himself with a gun in a truck okay yeah Um, and I feel like he basically admitted that that's like what his plan was because yeah, he said like, I just fell asleep. Thank God. I just fell asleep. Yeah. Like you wouldn't say that if you didn't have some sort of intention of like hurting yourself. I feel like, I mean, I've never been in that position, but I like just based on him saying that, I'm like, that's a little, I feel like that reveals something. (laughs) 
uh, agreed. <laughs> and I just really like the interviews that were around. Then maybe that's why I was like, um, well, maybe he, wait, what? I don't know. Like why this even came up. If like, you're going to be like, oh yeah, he went to the truck and he had the gun. Like he had his shoe and his sock off. Like, cause I guess to like, apparently <laughs> you have to like, so they explain like how you would like commit suicide with a gun in a truck, like sitting in the truck. And he seems like oddly very calm about it. Yeah. Where he's just like, yeah, you know, thank God I fell asleep. Um, and other people are like, no, he was not going to. And I'm like, that's the thing. It's like the what? people we interviewed were basically like, I think they're maybe out of like five people. Maybe there was one that said he thought he was going to do it. And yeah. then the other four were like, oh no. And then Dennis yeah. Rodman didn't really like give an answer. I mean, I feel like he kind of did, but no, he didn't yeah. directly. He said one sentence and that was yeah. it. So yeah. That's, but I think that's also him not wanting to show emotion and vulnerability yeah all of him that he was like at you know if he was at that point like that he was at that point because that's a whole new level yeah yeah so i think that's probably like the lowest point and not the it it is a low point in the documentary but yeah i wouldn't say it's like a depressing documentary i would say it's like a very well done 30 for 30 yeah it's Um, really enlightening yeah it's super interesting it Although I'm like, oh, lots of feelings. Like I don't feel like I let I like left watching it feeling like, oh my god, what a downer. I was no, just like, I wow. I felt like I had lots of feelings that I wanted to like think about. Yes, that I wanted to think about. Not that I was like, oh, all this stuff is super sad, and like, let's just move on from that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, agreed. So five, I'll give it five stars. I have zero, uh, you know, film experience in terms of <laughs> in terms of rating things. I am definitely not. Um, what are those people that go in and rate restaurants? Uh, critics. I'm not a critic. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> I'm not a film critic. <laughs> um, whatsoever. It's okay because it's your podcast. You can say whatever <laughs> you want. But. Um, <laughs> If you are interested in sports or psychology or mental health or family dynamics, really any of the above, um, definitely would recommend checking it out. And it's yeah, it's not that long either. Um, no. It's less than I'm watching a movie. Like, I think if you watch it now, there's no commercials. Like, it would just be straight the documentary. I feel like it was like an hour and a half. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, that's it, correct. So you can find it on ESPN or um, it's also on Hulu. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. If you all have recommendations for other 30 for yes. 30s that you would like us to watch and then talk about, uh, slide into the DMs, Sports Quarks yep. on Twitter or sportsandquarks at gmail.com. Or E60 or any other sports documentaries that you have heard of or seen. Netflix, yeah. HBO, whatever. Um, we will unpack them. We will. We will indeed. It's the only thing I like unpacking. <laughs> I hate unpacking suitcases, hate unpacking groceries. <laughs> but we will unpack a sports documentary. <laughs> um, absolutely. <laughs> so until the next time we have a bonus episode. With all the feelings and all the thoughts. <laughs> <laughs>
all the thoughts for real. (laughs) We'll talk to you next time. Emily and Emily, sports and courts.